plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So this morning, I want us to look at this particular passage of Scripture, paint a little bit of context around this very popular verse, and understand what hope is. I'm even going to give you a little bit of an Old Testament timeline so that you can understand the context of where Jeremiah served in his ministry before God. You know, what is hope? You know, the word hope is something that many of us cling to during our most trying days during this life on earth. And Frank, the famous diarist who was uh, hiding out from the Nazis during World War II, at a very young age would keep a diary that many of us still read to this day. And in that diary, she spoke a lot about this word hope, and one particular uh, statement that she made is this, where there's hope, there's life. It fills us with fresh courage and makes us strong again. Martin Luther King Jr. would say this, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. The familiar movie of most of us, if you've ever seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, the lead character, uh, Andy Dufresne, writes a letter to his dear friend who was an inmate with him at Shawshank, uh, played by Morgan Freeman. His name was Red, and he writes him a letter, and in that letter he records these words. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. And so we think of hope as maybe the best of things. And as we begin September, we want to enter into a season of hope. Every single message in the month of September is going to focus on hope. The greatest hope, of course, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again to take his own with him so that where he is, we may be with him also. Jeremiah, of course, writes at a time that is very interesting, and he talks about promised hope. Now, let me take you a little bit back into Jeremiah's day. Up on the screen here, you see that Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet during the time of, uh, just before the exile of the Israelite people. It was a time when the kingdom was divided into two. And uh, Jeremiah prophesied to the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already been exiled to Assyria in 722 B.C. So you see the two kingdoms, the split kingdom, the divided kingdom there. Now I want us to look at the timeline of history. Creation began about 4,000 B.C. We have just passed over the 2,000 century mark, so we have been this planet has been in existence for 6,000 years. You and I can talk later about whether the earth is older than 6,000 years at another time. But for biblical purposes, based on genealogies and based on God's word, we learned that God created the world 6,000 years ago. Now let's look at a more in, uh, intense timeline, if you will. Up here on the screen to the left is 4,000 B.C. And you see the characters. God created Adam and Eve. And then, of course, we have 1,400 years later, the flood of Noah. And then after that, we see the first patriarch, Abraham. 
Abraham, of course, um, comes on the scene in chapter 12 of Genesis. So if you think about it from just a big picture perspective, the first 2,000 years of this world's existence was taken up in just the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Moving forward, we see there that, in fact, uh, Abraham, of course, had Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Esau, and then Joseph, and then all of a sudden, look at what happens. In 1876, they go to Egypt. Joseph, Joseph, of course, keeps the nation of Israel going because of moving into a very important role, second in command, in Egypt under Pharaoh alone. And then something happens between Genesis and Exodus. There's about 400 years of slavery for the Israelite people in Egypt. And then from there, after 400 years, we begin the book of Exodus and we see Moses enter the scene. God raises up one who will deliver the Israelites out of bondage. And that man is Moses. Moses and Aaron, his older brother, will go and they will lead Israel out in 1446 B.C. This is known as the Great Exodus. They will cross through the Red Sea. They will go to the peninsula of Sinai. God will give them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. He will also give Moses the Levitical law and all of the civil law for the Israelite people to live by. And there we go. We have the Israelite people who have been commissioned by God Almighty to be a light to the world. And they go into the desert and they complain and they grumble against God because they have no food, they have no direction. And so God sends out and Moses sends out spies to go and look at the promised land that God wanted to take them to. And all 12 spies came back and 10 of them gave a bad report, but only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, gave a good report and said, if God is with us, we can take the promised land that he has promised us. But the people sided with the ten unfaithful spies. And so therefore, we have this period at which Moses is on the plains of Moab. He delivers the Deuteronomy book. It is the second law. Why? Because God calls those unfaithful Israelites to die in the desert. And they're on the plains of Moab 40 years later after that punishment. And then they go and they are sitting on the plains of Moab. And God said Joshua will be the one to lead them into the promised land. Joshua, the Israelite name, Yeshua. It's the same name as Jesus. And therefore, Jesus is the one who will help us to enter into the promised land, the future promised land. Everything that's happened thus far is a picture of what the Christian life is about, of what the Christian church life is about. And so Joshua himself uh, leads the people and they conquest Canaan and they move into the promised land. But then Joshua dies and the people fall into disobedience to God's commands again. And then we have a period of about 350 to 375 years where judges ruled the nation. They would disobey, the people would disobey. God would allow neighboring nations to take them into captivity or to oppress them. And God would raise up a judge in his graciousness and then the whole cycle would repeat again. Long about the end of the judges period, the people want a king. Every nation in the world at that time had their own king. 
the nation of Israel said, we want a king. And so God gave them a king. His name was Saul. He wasn't a great king, but he ruled for 40 years. But then when he was removed from the throne, God anointed a man after his own heart, King David. King David, of course, was the most famous king of Israel. And he ruled for 40 years. And David came in 1050 uh, B.C. And he, he actually came in 1010 B.C. And then he ruled for 40 years down to 970 B.C. He then gave over the kingdom when he died to Solomon. Solomon was the third king of what we know, know as the United Kingdom. And Solomon was the wealthiest man to have ever lived. Solomon was the wisest man, many scholars believe, to have ever lived. He is responsible for Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, similar to how David was the author of many of the Psalms that we read in our Bibles today. And then Solomon died, and the kingdom split, because Solomon's rightful heir, Rehoboam, decided he wanted to invoke a strong yoke of weight and oppression on the people. And they rebelled, and they got their own king. His name was Jeroboam, and they went north. And so the northern ten tribes made up Israel, the picture that I showed you before. That was the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, only two tribes. It was Judah and uh, Benjamin. They stayed in the southern area where Jerusalem is. And so this is the nation that has been divided into two. And then, of course, the northern kingdom. How many kings do you think the northern king, kingdom had that followed God with all of their heart, mind, and soul, and strength? Zero. Not one of them was faithful to God. And in 722 B.C., God allowed the Assyrian Empire to come in and invade the northern kingdom and carry them off captives to Assyria, to Nineveh, modern-day Turkey. And then, of course, prophet after prophet after prophet would tell the people to repent, return to the Lord, give their whole heart to, Jesus, to God, and they would not do it. They disobeyed, they disobeyed, they disobeyed. The southern kingdom had a few kings who were faithful, who followed God, who gave over to his leadership in their reign. However, in 586 B.C., God would, in fact, bring judgment upon them as well. And in 587 B.C., as uh, Jesse mentioned last week, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar would come in and he would destroy the city of Jerusalem and he would burn the temple and he would carry off into captivity all of the people of Israel. Well, this is the moment in which the prophet Jeremiah finds himself. So with all of that history, how many of you love history? How many of you thought you liked history? Okay, but it's important to understand the grand plan of God because he's going to share with us what's amazing about it. Here in Jeremiah, we read these beautiful words. I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But folks, let's be very clear. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet for a very important reason. He wept over the disobedience of the Israelite people, the people of Judah. If you look back to Jeremiah 25 for a moment, just flip back in your Bibles. 
Jeremiah 25. Let's read a few verses here to gain even additional context as we home in on Jeremiah and his prophecy. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So Jeremiah, prophet, said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, get this, verse 3, for 23 years. From the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Verse 4, and though the Lord had sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord God gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. And verse 7 says, but you did not listen to me. You did not listen to me. Did you notice Jeremiah preached from 626 B.C. down to 603 B.C. And he was imploring the people of Israel to turn, to repent, and to come back to him. But the judgment of God must stand. And so in chapter 26, we see that Jeremiah pleads once again with God's people. In chapter 27, Jeremiah does a very odd thing. He puts a yoke, a wooden yoke, around his neck to show that they themselves would be carried into captivity. In fact, in Jer Jeremiah 28, a false prophet named Hananiah will stand up and try to tell the people that they're only going to be in this foreign land for two years. And I find it fascinating. I always try to find humor in the scripture, and Jeremiah has a sarcastic response to Hananiah. Jeremiah tells him, oh, that's great news. Oh, I can't wait to see that God is going to bring us back in two years, even though Jeremiah knows full well that God's plan was for 70 years. Look down at the bottom of chapter 25, and we will see what it says there. In verse 12, but when 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. And so God has pr pronounced a judgment upon the people of Israel that they would be in bondage, in captivity for 29 years, I mean for 70 years. And so now we come to Jeremiah 29. Now let me read the rest of the text that leads up to that verse that is our memory verse. This is the text of the letter, Jeremiah 29.1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Then there's a parenthetical here. It says this was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, and so this is the content of the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encouraged them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So this is the context. Jeremiah is establishing that there are three responses that we must have, that the Israelite people must have. First of all, they must embrace life. Embrace life. You realize that the people who had been carried off into captivity to Babylon had lost everything. They'd lost their freedom. They had lost their homes. They may have lost family members. They lost their means of earning a living. They lost their culture. They lost all that they held dear. It was their homeland that they lost and they were carried off as foreigners into another land that they had never seen before. Seventy years is a long time. Many of them probably died on the trek to Babylon. Many of them who went to Babylon would never return. They would die in a foreign land. But what is God's encouragement through Jeremiah to them? He says, bloom where you're planted. 
You know, many of us in this room, in fact, all of us in this room, didn't have a choice as to what family we were born into. You ever thought of that? You didn't have a choice. You were born into a particular family. You didn't have a place as to where you were born. Many of you were born right here in Charleston. I was not. I made my, I tell people all the time, I wasn't born in Charleston, but I got here as quick as I could. I'll never forget the day that I graduated from the Merchant Marine Academy up in New York, and I took a job down here in Charleston at the Naval Shipyard. I was about to embark on a time of change when I had to move from somewhere that was comfortable for me to a place where I didn't know anyone. I don't know about you, but that can be a scary time. And I'll never forget, I had done some research and I had found a place called Pages, Paces Watch Apartments. I think they still exist in Mount Pleasant. And I'll never forget, my parents came down, they, they drove down with me, and I drove in my Ford Escort. And the biggest thing that I had to carry with me after my college career were my speakers for my stereo system. That was it. I didn't have anything to lay on. Literally, I slept in a sleeping bag for the first month that I lived in Charleston. And yet, and yet, I was excited. It was a new start for me. And so my parents and I found this place, Paces Watch, over in Mount Pleasant, and the fella is showing us our apartment, my, my new apartment. And he's taking me over here. Oh, this is the living area. This is where you'll live. And over here is the bedroom, and that's where you're going to stay. And then over here is the kitchen. And when he went into the kitchen, I, I'm not kidding you, this is 1988, July 1988. And he walks over to the kitchen, and he comes in in front of the sink, the, under the cabinet, and he opens up the cabinets, and he reaches down, and he grabs an empty gallon milk jug. And he says to me, now this is what you'll use to go get drinking water at the fire station. No kidding. And I looked at him, and I looked at my parents, and my parents looked at me, and we said, how far south did we go? I was desperately in a different location than I had ever been before. You see, in Baltimore, I mean, we got problems in Baltimore, but they had drinking water out of the faucet. And I looked at the man, and my parents looked at the man, and we said, where can we go to be able to drink the water from a faucet? Oh, you've got to go to West Ashley for that. No kidding. I would have been a Mount Pleasanter. But now I am in West Ashley. So my parents and I, we went to Shoney's that night for dinner, and we came across that rickety old Cooper River Bridge. And my mom said, I'm so glad you're not going to have to go over this bridge anymore. And we went to Sam Rittenberg to an apartment complex that I think that Village Square Apartments. And that's where I settled in. And I would, I would get off the shipyard, uh, I'd get off at 3.30. Not knowing what else to do, I just walked up and down Sam Rittenberg looking for somebody to talk to. Isn't that sad? I live a sad life. But God is, is using me in this way. He is saying, Randy, bloom where you're planted. 
So I would go to Sears at the Citadel Mall and I'd talk to the salespeople <laughs> until they closed at 9 o'clock. I would sit there and watch football games on Saturday because I didn't have a TV. It was a way for me to get to know folks. One of these days I'm going to tell you how I ended up at Ashley River Baptist Church. That's a funny story. But the bottom line is God tells the Israelite people here, look at what it says there in verse 5, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, give your sons and daughters into marriage, have children, grow. Folks, I don't know where you are or where you've been. Many of us can look at our life over the time horizon from the past and we can look at a specific time where we pivoted. For me, it was, I was going to Mount Pleasant. That's not how it worked out. I ended up in West Ashley and it changed the entire trajectory of my life. These people in Israel never thought that they would be carried off into captivity into Babylon, so far away from their homeland. God says, build, plant, bloom where you're planted. Make the most of it. Live your life. And then he says a second thing. He, he tells them not just to settle down, but he tells them to pray. Look at what he says there. Also seek, verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. And that's what God is telling these people through Jeremiah. Do good to others. Pray for the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of that city where you are being held captive. Because God's got plans. You know, Solomon would say, whoever watches the wind will never plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will never reap. Move. Do something. God will use you. Take faith. Move. And that's what God is telling them to do. Settle in. Establish roots. And then pray. Pray. Many people will correlate Jeremiah 29, 11 with Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know. And we know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a beautiful verse. But let's be clear. That verse does not say you're not going to have difficulty. That verse does not say that life is just one big bowl of cherries. That verse does not say that God's put you on the primrose path. He tells you, even in the midst of your struggle... I am with you. I am with you because life, this world, not everything is good. Not everything is good. Nothing, it wasn't good for those people to have to be captives and carried off to Babylon. That wasn't good. Maybe some things have happened in your life that are not good. A disease, a divorce, a broken relationship, children that have gone wayward. Whatever the situation is in your life, this is the word that comes to all of us. God says, in the midst of your difficulty, I am there. Why? Because he is a good God. He's a good God. And no matter what your struggle in life is, God is there for you. You notice it's interesting that these people are now getting ready to be carried off or being carried off to Babylon and the big takeaway of embracing life is this. 
even in their punishment, even in their 70-year punishment, God was gracious and merciful to them. God was gracious and merciful to them. He didn't say, don't bother praying because I'm not going to listen. God was still there. God was sitting with them in their own punishment. Why 70 years? Have you ever thought about that? Well, if you know the, the law that God gave to Moses and the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 25, he tells them, six years you are to sow, to plant and sow and cultivate the field and grow your crops, to prune your vineyards, and they will produce. But in the seventh year, that's a year of rest for the land that God has given to you. And so, that was the law that God had laid down for the Israelite people. Every seven years, you are to let the land rest. We learn in Leviticus 26, what God's judgment will be for them if they don't follow that law, that they will be banished to other nations. They will be carried off as captives. One year for every seven-year cycle that they failed to let the land rest. And we learn in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that in fact that is exactly what God did. Cumulative to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, there were 490 years, 70 cycles, upon which they did not let the land that God had given them rest. You think rest matters in the Bible? Rest. God gave us that pattern in the very creation. He created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's prophetic. It's purposeful. And that's how God works. And so we see here that they were on disobedient. They did not listen to God's law. For 70 years, they would have to be in exile. So the big idea here is to embrace life, even though you're going to be gone for 70 years. The second thing is to resist lies. Resist the lies. Look at what it says there in verse, um, verse 8. In verse 8 it says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Do you realize that there are a lot of people in this world who are trying to tell you that it's going to be easy. There's a lot of churches that preach a prosperity gospel, a blab it and grab it, a, a claim it and a name it and claim it kind of a gospel. That's not the gospel of the Bible. The gospel of the Bible is that as a Christian, you will be persecuted. Jesus said, if you follow after me, then you will be persecuted. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. All of us who are walking this life, we know that it's not going to be easy. But we know we have hope for the future because God, who promised, is faithful. And because of that, we can have hope as well. 
He says here that it's, it's fascinating, these false hopes that prophet Hananiah in chapter 28 gives. He says, two years is all you'll be here, and then God will bring you back. Well, in 2 Timothy, you know, Emily read that passage out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 3, it says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. Folks, we're living in a culture right now where everybody wants to consume something good. We live in a culture where everybody, it's about them. Maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and if you were really honest with yourself, you would say, I spend more time thinking about myself than I do of others. I spend more time going on to social media to see how many likes I get from my posts than I do sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with my neighbor. We live in a time when people don't even know what the Bible is. Many of us in this room grew up in a time where America was kind of Judeo-Christian. Most people knew about the Bible. Most people knew about God, about Jesus, about Paul, about John. But folks, I'm telling you, these young, this young generation coming up, it's the first post-truth generation. I'll say that again. It's the first post-truth generation. They don't believe in absolute truth. They don't believe that this Bible is true. They think it's relative. They think that it's a bunch of stories, that it's outdated, that, that we, the church, need to catch up with the times. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Jeremiah was preaching to people who themselves wanted to live the way they wanted to live. And what happened? They were carried off into exile. Ashley River Baptist Church, we have an opportunity to be a different kind of church in Charleston. But it's going to take a lot of work. Notice what God says here. He says, do not decrease, but increase. Do not decrease, but increase. And I'm going to get really serious right now. We've gone through a very difficult period as a church family. You know, I can imagine that many of us feel a little bit like these Israelites who are wondering, where is God in all of this? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you, and this is where I, my heart beats, you are that remnant that's gone through a punishment of some kind. And God is going to bring you back. Ashley River Baptist Church 
is here and God has a plan for us. God is not done with Ashley River Baptist Church. We have to embrace where we are. We have to not listen to all of the negative speak out there. We have to be faithful to what God is calling us to. Are we ready to follow Christ wherever he leads? Are we ready to follow Christ wherever he leads? I don't hear you. Are you ready to follow Christ wherever he leads? I want Ashley River to have the same passion for the lost that Jesus Christ had. I don't care about our troubles now. I want us to move, to do the work of an evangelist. Paul told Timothy, stand up, be a man, do the work of an evangelist, preach the word, because it is the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. God's promise says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He says here in chapter 29, verse 12, then I will call, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Oh Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, hear our cry. We know you're not done with us. Use us, Lord. Use us for your glory, for your kingdom. There are thousands upon thousands of people in Charleston who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. That you have plans for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future if only we will obey. Seek the Lord with all your heart. If you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. How many of you know Jesus Christ? Paul said, I want to know Christ and the, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Oh, that's what brings us all together. Tertullian, the church father, said, the, the blood, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? The big idea is this. God will always bring us back to himself. God is faithful. And we can rest in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope today? I see this sanctuary full of people who find hope in Jesus Christ, who come together every single week. They don't sit at home and watch it. 
They come here because there is power when the Spirit is unleashed upon the church of Jesus Christ. When we gather as an assembly of God, we are here to be submissive to His will. And His will is that we will be evangelists in this age. When people want to gather around themselves, teachers that will tickle their ears, God says, no, you stand firm on the foundation of the Word of God. Jeremiah the weeping prophet would tell those people, you'll spend 70 years. But while you're spending 70 years, you build, you plant, you raise a family, and you do the work that God has called you to do. Ashley River, that's our job. Generations into the future, people will look back on this time in Ashley River's history. We like to celebrate our history. In, eight, in April next year, I mean, next, yeah, in April next year, we're going to celebrate 80 years as a congregation. Are we going to be around 80 years from now? We're going to be around eight years from now. God says, yes. What do we say? You see, here's the thing. God wants us to reach this generation. And we've got to learn the word and we've got to apply the word to our living each and every day. Beginning right here. Beginning with me. Because God wants to do something amazing. How many of you have been praying for revival in Charleston? I want to see this holy city actually become holy. Embrace life. Resist the lies. And of course, seek the Lord. Right now, we're going to seek the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something that makes you very uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask you Put yourself in God's hands. Put yourself in God's hands. You come up to this altar. If God leads you, you come. You kneel right where you are. You pray right where you are. You bow your head right where you are. And you ask God to use you. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. And he heard a voice from heaven, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? How many Isaiahs do we have in this room this morning who will say with Isaiah, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. How many of you will say it with me? Say it. Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, my heart hurts, Father the city of Charleston. I desire that this beautiful church not rest 
on years gone by, but will embrace our very life right now. That the people of this church will be steadfast, will be resolute, will stand in the gap and reach a generation that has no hope and hold out the only hope and the greatest hope that they could ever hear that Jesus saves. Father, I pray that this church makes a decision. We make a decision today. And we don't worry about what people will say. We don't worry about feeling uncomfortable. We're going to follow you. And Lord, we know that when we follow the King of kings and Lord of lords, you will do the work. All we have to do is be faithful. Faithful. Let us take up our cross and follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I know people's hearts are stirring right now. I pray that you will move them. Move them from their seat to come to this altar and pray for revival. Not just for Ashley River but for this city in which we live and which we love. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.